take a moment uh, to pray and invite God just to continue to minister to us as we um, continue on this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we just pray that the songs that we just sang and, and even just the melody of those songs, that they would have ministered to us, but also the words that we expressed through song, that they would be truly an expression of our heart, that our lives are about you, Jesus, and that what we want to do in everything that we do is we want to glorify you and make you known. And so as we go into part two uh, today, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would um, guide us. I pray that you would search us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister into our, each of our hearts in a way that we cannot do for ourselves. We want to be obedient to you. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that in this time now, that you would do your work. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in part two today of uh, the book of Philippians, or the letter of Philippians. And if you did not watch um, the first uh, week, um, I would encourage you to go and watch that right after. It should be right there on our YouTube channel, because we're, we're in, in the first chapter, or in the first ser um, sermon, um, I outlined a little bit more um, who Paul is and the church in Philippi and where he was writing from, and so some of that information is important. The other thing that might sound a little bit cheesy, but I'm just going to say it, um, it would help us a lot, and it would help um, you know, with viewers and things like that, that if you like these sermons, that you would um, hit like on YouTube, and just take a second wherever you are and just hit like, and the reason for it is the algorithm with you, that YouTube uses is the more views and the more likes, the more it actually pushes the videos and things like that to the forefront. So believe it or not, by hitting like and by viewing and by sharing, you are actually helping um, us uh, become more visible on YouTube. And we think that the sermons and the services that we have here are, are well uh, done and are something that would be helpful to people. And so this is one small way that you can help in making them more visible to others. Well, today we are in chapter 2 uh, of the letter of Philippians. And just a really, really quick recap. In chapter 1, we discovered that Paul is the author of the book of Philippians, that he wrote to the church in Philippi, and that the church in Philippi was very much a, a Roman city in a sense. It had a lot of the culture and a lot of the, the philosophies of Rome there, and also it is believed, um, well, it is known that Paul wrote from prison, and it is believed that he wrote from Caesarea, in the prison in Caesarea. And so we want to take a moment now and, and just remind ourselves of why we are doing this sermon series. We're, we're said, we said that the, the tagline for this series, the tagline for this letter, is encouragement from a place of discouragement. And my, I said last week that my desire with this series is that through going through this letter and through um, what God speaks to us through this letter, that we would become individuals who would be greater encouragers, that we would be more positive, that we would be more optimistic, that we would be more hopeful, that we would be the ones in a community or in an environment or in a workspace or in a culture or wherever you find yourself, that we would be the ones who are bringing hope, that when everyone else is talking hopelessness, when everyone else is about despair, when everyone else is about depression and, and all those kind of things, and, and I realize this has been difficult, 
But I trust that we would be the ones speaking encouragement into those spaces, into those places, into those people's minds and hearts. And I trust that as we consider the fact that Paul wrote this letter from a place of prison, and if he is able to be that positive and that optimistic from that place, that in this time, what we are experiencing, that we would also be able to do the same. What is very clear in how Paul writes is that his number one desire, his number one goal, is that the gospel of Jesus would be proclaimed. Not that the church would feel sorry for him. Not that the church would somehow try to rescue him. Not that the church would try to change his environment. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, he basically says, this environment has given me an opportunity to share the gospel. And he took that opportunity. And guards and others were moved to also um, follow Jesus. And so he wants the gospel of Jesus. Paul wants the gospel of Jesus to be what drives us. To be what drives the church. And so we concluded last week by looking at this little line, whatever it takes. So whatever happens, whatever comes our way, that we will be Christians, that we will be Jesus followers, whose main purpose will be to reflect Jesus in everything that we do. And so today we're going to be in chapter 2. And and if you've read this letter before, and if you've read chapter 2 before, then you know that Chapter 2 talks a lot about the humility that Jesus showed by coming to earth. And humility is one of those things that um, we love to talk about in regards of what other people should do. But I think for most of us, there's there's times in our lives where this is a bit of a struggle for for us. To be humble. To express humility. To to exercise it. So a quick story, just so that you kind of have an idea of where I'm talking, or what I'm talking about, or where I'm coming from. A number of years ago, quite a few years ago, um, we went on vacation and we traveled to South America. And uh, when the people that, uh, you know, that we knew down there knew that we were coming, um, the church and, and others, they asked if I would, you know, once I was there, they asked if I would uh, do uh, some speaking. And this bothered me a little bit. It actually bothered me a lot because, well, like, I'm on vacation. I don't really feel like speaking on vacation because that would be work and so they asked if I would do some youth talks and then also a couple of parent sessions and because I was a youth pastor because I was white because I was from Canada obviously this made me an expert in the field and I was a self-proclaimed expert on parenting and so I guess everybody kind of thought you know this would be a good idea let's let's have this Ike Unger from Canada come and speak and like I said I was pretty bothered by this Um, You know, you're robbing me of my vacation time. But in the end, we concluded or we agreed that there would be five sessions in total, three of them for the youth and two for the parents. So I spent some time putting, um, you know, my talks together and and I had some ideas on what I was going to do. and, And my goal was to dazzle them. I was going to make sure that they knew that they had invited the best speaker, that they had, you know, the best ever. And so I had taken some seminary courses on some of the stuff I was going to talk about. And so my goal was to make sure that they would never forget just how amazing Ike Unger was and all that he knew. And as you can imagine, the reason I'm sharing this story is because it was a disaster. Like it was a disaster right from the get-go. I was like maybe five minutes into my first session and I already realized this isn't going to work. 
This was not at all what I had envisioned. I thought everyone would just be hanging on to every word that I said, but in reality, no one understood anything I said. You see, I had never taken time to consider the cultural differences. I had never taken time to really understand some of those things. And so the concepts that I was using, the illustrations that I was using, they were culturally irrelevant. And so I'd be talking about something, and they'd be looking at me like, what are you talking about? And so it was just this most disastrous experience. That was just the youth sessions. After that came the parent sessions. Now, I don't know why any parent even bothers showing up. My guess is every day the kids would have gone home, the youth would have gone home and talked about how horrible it was. And I'm guessing a lot of the parents that came, they simply came to see if their kids were telling the truth. Was it really that bad? And I can only tell you that the parents looked even more confused than the kids did, than their student, than their youth did. Because I was talking about how to parent, and, and again, very much from a flavor from the culture that I had come from. And by the end, when it was all said and done, they decided we should have a Q&A. We should have a question and answer period, you know, because I'm sure everyone is just dripping with questions, and, and they're just begging for more knowledge from this guy. And so we opened it up for Q&A, and it was silence. Nobody had any questions. I think people did. I think the question everyone wanted to raise their hand to ask was, what was that? What were you talking about? But finally, one person in the back, you know, sheepishly raised their hand. And, and so, of course, we immediately jumped, oh, we see that hand. Yes, what's your question? And, and they, you know, they, they thanked me for being there on behalf of everyone. And, and then they went on, and if I remember clearly, they went on and they thanked me for something that I had said that had helped them so much. And they were just, man, they, that was such a takeaway from home and they, for them, and they were so thankful for it. There's just one small problem. I never said that. I never said the very thing that they were thankful for. And so I left there. I left there feeling so defeated. But here's what I did. Here's what I did. I told myself that it was not my fault. I'm on vacation, I shouldn't have been asked to speak to begin with, and on and on I went. I justified myself to make sure that I would not for one second feel that any of the responsibility of that catastrophe would land on me. And I'll be honest, since then I've matured a lot, and I've taken some time to think back to that situation, and I've concluded this. That if I would have had even just a little bit of humility, I think that event would have turned out completely different. And I think, you know, it would have worked out better. If I would have had even just a little bit of humility towards that speaking gig and just said, you know what, let's see, who are these people? What does God want me to say? And if I would have even just for a moment said, you know what, what a privilege to be used by God. What a privilege to have this opportunity to share. What a privilege to, to be invited to go into a different culture and to share what God has laid on my heart. I am convinced that that event would have looked different. See, here's the thing I want you to remember with this story. The material was good. As a matter of fact, I've used that material many times since. 
The material wasn't the problem. I paid a lot of money actually to learn much of that material and I've experienced a lot. The material was not the problem. I was the problem. And beyond that, I would say my mindset was the problem. And that's what I want us to focus on today. What is the mindset that you have with which you live your life? What is the mindset? What is the guidance? What is the compass in a sense? What is, what is the thing that, that drives how you interact with people, that, that drives how you process difficult decisions, that drives you in every area when there's conflict, when there's you know, opposition, whatever it might be. What is the mindset behind you? And if we look at this passage, we see Paul speak to it. And we see this incredible description of the humility of Jesus. And we are told to imitate Christ's humility. Paul makes it very clear that Jesus didn't just do that so that he would have this you know, um, image of himself, but he did it for us to imitate him. And at the end of the chapter, at the end of last week's um, chapter, we said that we were to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we also concluded last week by saying that we've been granted not only to believe, not only to have salvation through Jesus, but we've also been granted to suffer for Jesus. That's the mindset. But today, Paul outlines for us even more clearly what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So let's um, start in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. I'm just going to pause us there because there's a lot in these verses and I want us to just take really quickly a moment to understand what is he getting at? What is he alluding to? The word encouragement that he uses here is the same word or we could also have used, he could have also have used the word comfort or appeal. So basically what Paul is saying, if you have any comfort in what Jesus has done, if any comfort from being united with Christ, if, you, if that does something for you, that's what he's saying. Next he says, if any comfort from his love, meaning that if we have experienced the blessing, if the, if the love of Jesus gives you comfort, if the love of Jesus puts you at peace, if any sh common sharing in the Spirit, in other words, saying if, if there's something about being united with fellow believers through the Holy Spirit, knowing that we are guided by the same Spirit, knowing that we are one in Jesus. And then finally, if we've experienced and appreciate the tenderness and the compassion of Jesus Christ. So Paul is basically saying, here is this amazing thing that Jesus has done for you, and if that has done anything for you at all, in other words, a dumbed-down version of it could be like this. Everything you appreciate that Christ is for you, be for others. Everything that you appreciate about what Christ has been for you or is for you, be that for others. Look at what he says in the next verse. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul tells the church here in Philippi, and I know he's saying the same to us, 
that we should be like-minded. See, to be a Jesus follower means that we truly follow Jesus. To be a Jesus follower means that we will truly follow Jesus. And then he gives us these harsh instructions. Verse 3. Do nothing. Now we stopped last week and, you know, we, you know, we had you made it, you know, had you say it out loud. You know, so I'm going to do the same thing today. I want you, wherever you are, do nothing. Say it. Do nothing. Okay, I want you to have those words ringing through your head for the next few verses because that is what he is, uh, he is wanting us to focus on. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Here's what I know about you. And here's what I know about those of you listening and and myself, is that we don't really need to be told what that means. I don't think there's too many of us right now saying, what does it mean to not be selfish? What does it mean to, to do nothing out of selfishness or vain conceit? I think most of us understand that. Here's what I think we do need to spend some time thinking about. And that is that I don't know if any of us can truly grasp how difficult that will be to live out. Oh, see, we know that we shouldn't be selfish. We know that we should not live a vain life. We know that. But the reality is that most of us throughout our days do not understand how hard that is going to be. The reality is I think that most of us, you know, have struggled at some time in our lives, and maybe more times than we would like to admit, with selfishness. And I would even say that selfishness is probably at the heart of almost all of the sin that we commit. Selfishness is at the heart of sin. We lie to protect ourselves. We steal for personal gain. We cheat because we don't want to lose or we want to do better. We quit on people or on things because it's not meaningful to us or whatever it might be or we don't want to put the effort forward anymore. See, selfishness often shows itself in more ways than we think. So Paul, Paul tells us to do nothing out of selfishness. And this is hard to swallow because how am I supposed to live my life? What about the times where I feel like I may be taken advantage of? What about my rights? What about the things that are important to me? What about what about? And so we've read this passage many times, but maybe what you need to consider for a moment today is how difficult it will be to live out this passage of Scripture. And if we find ourselves realizing that this is going to be hard to do, we may want to commit significant time in prayer and in discipline to living out what Paul instructs us to be here. Or how he um, asks us to live. My guess is that most of us have dismissed this verse. There are other verses that are easier to do and so we focused on them. Both selfishness and vain conceit are enemies of community. And they will hinder unity within a community. So as a Jesus follower, we must be willing to put aside the interest of ourselves and focus on the interests of others. 
we might be tempted to argue that this doesn't really mean what it says, but yes, it does. It does mean exactly what it says. And we may have found in our own lives that, that selfishness actually has many fronts. It can be things like keeping something from others, not respecting others, whether it's their time or, their, or their, you know, um, who they are or whatever it might be, unwillingness to listen to others, taking all the credit when we succeed and blaming everyone else and passing the responsibility to others when we fail. Selfishness basically says, there are a different set of rules for me. And I think a lot of times we might you know, justify ourselves, just like I did when I told you the story about you know, my, my you know, um, speaking thing, is we justify ourselves and say, well, you know, it was this, it was this, and I'm on vacation, and I shouldn't have had the, you know, whatever, and we justify, and we say, basically, there's a set of rules for us that when we fail or that when we do something, you know, we are justified because of our situation. When someone else would do the exact same thing, we would probably be tempted to throw condemnation at them. But selfishness says, well, I'm allowed, my party's allowed, my political views are allowed, my opinion is allowed, but if someone else would use that same approach, they shouldn't. That is the heart of selfishness. And Paul says there is no room for that within the church community. And then he hits us with the following. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And there's a title for our sermon. The same mindset as Christ. The word I want us to focus on here, and we've already talked about a little bit, is mindset. Paul is not after just behavior. Paul is not just focused on us behaving well, whether we're on, in public and whether we're on social media, whether we're on the phone with somebody, whether we're emailing. Paul is not just interested in the behavior that people see. Obviously, that's important. What Paul is getting at is what is birthing, what is motivating that behavior? And he says, I want you to have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. And Paul understands that if we don't check our mindset, that at some point it might be the ugliness, ugliness of who knows what, at some point it will come public. And I've heard people say, and I'm sure you've heard people say, I don't know where that came from. I don't know why I did that. That's uncharacteristic of me. And a lot of that is possibly as a result of not having checked our mindset. And so Paul says, I want you to have a mindset that is the same as that of Christ. And here again, I think, is one that we need to really, really focus on and really ask God to guide us through. And so the question then obviously is, what was Christ's mindset? His mindset was humility. Look at verse 6. Paul says, Who, being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus came to this earth 
born as a child. He was the very nature, the very essence of God. And yet allowed himself, think about this for a moment, as a child, he allowed himself to be nurtured. He allowed himself to be fed. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He humbled himself and he never once demanded that people would treat him a certain way because he was God. Rather, he made himself nothing. Some translations say that he emptied himself. This doesn't mean that he denied his Godhead. He didn't deny being God. But he didn't play the God card. He wasn't like, hey, I'm in the room. I get the best seat. My opinion counts more than yours. Because, by the way, I am God. To have the mindset of Christ means that we would live our lives with that kind of humility. What is even more astonishing about Jesus is that, as you know, he lived his life. He was often mistreated during his life. He was often accused of things he didn't do. But in the end, what is most astonishing is that he allowed himself to be murdered, to be crucified by the very people that he breathed breath into. His own creation, his own humanity, that which he, as God, created now was killing him and did kill him. See, that is humility. Why did he do it? You know the story. He did all of that so that we could have salvation. He suffered, he died, he humbled himself and was mistreated so that you and I could one day be with him in glory. Church, there's a message there for us. That what happens right now on this earth, in the times where we may feel that we're being taken advantage of or our opinions aren't being listened to or whatever it might be. Church, there's a message here for us that we need to be willing to lay down our own rights. We need to be willing to set aside our own agendas so that the gospel of Jesus is not hindered in any way from being shared. Now we may be tempted to conclude that humility is weakness, that humility is defeat, that humility is inferiority. So in case you're tempted to think that way, look at the outcome of Christ's humility. Verse 9, therefore, another therefore, as a result of, you could say, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue can acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. By humbling himself, Jesus did not end up in defeat. My knee, your knee, the knees of the most powerful, the knees of the most wealthy people on this planet will one day bow to him who humbled himself. We are told by Paul to have the same mindset as Christ. So the question that you and I may have to ask ourselves is what does humility look like in our lives? How is humility played out? Would this even be a word that would be 
used to describe our characteristic, our character. So much of society today is out to prove others wrong, out to prove themselves right. And some of this is actually done under the umbrella of Christianity. But let's not talk about society. Because it's always easy to pick on society. If you ever hear a pastor, the easiest thing to do is target the world. Because you can talk all kinds of things about the world, and of course you'll always be right. So let's not talk this morning about how society is going out and fighting for itself, and and fighting for its own right, and trying to prove everyone else. Let's take a moment and let's talk about the church. How is the church today displaying humility? Think about that for a moment. Do you see it? Do you see a church in North America right now that is humble? That has the mindset of Christ? That would say the only thing that matters is the gospel being shared? So we will suffer whatever we need to suffer as long as we are a light to a dark world? That's a hard thing for us to process, but we have to ask ourselves. It's easy to pick on society, but what about the church? You see, church, to be a follower of Jesus means to follow Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus only in belief. You cannot follow Jesus only in the things that that are comfortable or that are easy to do when we are gathered in a large body. To be a Jesus follower means to follow Jesus everywhere, all the time. And this will require humility. And it will require us having the same mindset as Christ. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul is very clear here that being a Jesus follower is not just about humility, but it's also about obedience. And so he says to the church, you need to be obedient when I'm there and when I'm absent. Because part of being a Jesus follower is that we will always be obedient. But then he makes this statement that that causes a fair bit of confusion. And I want to spend a little bit of time just clarifying. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now this word, work out, is used, or in a sense can be used to say, bring to completion. That which God has done in you, bring it to completion. It's not a matter of working for our salvation. That is a gift of grace. That is something that only Jesus can give us. So the message here, when it says to work out our salvation, the message here is to continue to live out what God has started in your life. To continue to work out what Jesus has started in your life and to do so with fear and trembling, meaning that you're not going to take sharing the gospel of Jesus lightly. It's the idea of when your boss is around, you want to please that person. You want to do a good job. You want to be held in high esteem. You do it in a sense of fear and trembling. That is how we are to serve Jesus. 
That we will work out our salvation. We will daily live out what Jesus has started in us. And we will do so with absolute conviction and passion. We will not live our Christian life lightly. Now what God has called us to do will not be something we will do only when it's convenient to us. We will live, and we will live with a mindset of Christ always with fear and trembling. We will strive to be obedient to Jesus in everything. So now in verse 14, before we said do nothing, in verse 14 now he says do everything. I know it's cheesy, but let's do it wherever you are. Do everything. Okay, again, do everything. Everything. Before it was do nothing. Now, do everything without grumbling and arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them, among them, like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So that you too should be glad. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul tells the church here, and he's saying it to us. We are not to live our lives grumbling and complaining. To do everything. To do everything without grumbling and arguing. Think about that for a moment. What does that look like for you? To do everything without grumbling and arguing. In your marriage. In your family. At work. In your church. The things you post on social media. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. That is part of having a mindset of Christ. So regardless of our differences as a church, regardless of our different views in society, regardless of our different positions, maybe even politically, Paul would suggest to us that there's a way to live in unity even when we don't agree on everything. And the number one thing that's going to help us live in unity is if we would set aside some of the little things that we want to bicker about and the, and the things that we want to argue about. And he says, basically, there's a way to work through difficulty without grumbling and arguing. And he says, so I want you to do this so that you will be blameless so that you will stand out, that you will shine among them, 
like stars in the sky. Now that to me is something that I think we want to really take to heart. That when people see us, that they will recognize that we live differently, that we are motivated and that we would stand out not for what we are against, that we would stand out not for, you know, this or this, but that we would stand out for our love, for our compassion, for our generosity, that we would stand out because we have the same mindset as that of Christ. And this will require humility. Now here's what I know about every one of you. And here's what I know about me, is that none of us want to be called selfish. As a matter of fact, that's probably a pretty significant insult. And I'm not for one second implying that you are. But let me say this. I think it's safe to say that we all want to be known as followers of Jesus. I know those of you that attend Deer Run Church and I don't know who's all listening, but I would say to those of you that attend Deer Run Church, I know at the heart, your heart would be to be known as a follower of Jesus. So know this. Humility is at the heart of following Jesus. Humility is at the heart of following Jesus. We cannot follow him unless we humble ourselves before him. You cannot invite Jesus into your heart and have him forgive your sins if you do not acknowledge your need for forgiveness. Humility is required to receive salvation and humility is required to continue to be a disciple of Jesus. Humility is at the heart of following Jesus. We cannot love without humility. We cannot forgive without humility. We cannot express compassion. We cannot give grace. We cannot give mercy unless we are willing to live humbly. We cannot accept and embrace people without humility. You cannot embrace those around you who have maybe hurt you or those who are maybe different than you if you see yourself as better than them. Humility truly is at the heart of following Jesus every single day. So I conclude with this. I'm not going to tell you what you should do or what questions you should ask. But I would just simply say to you today, would you take a moment and examine yourself? And ask yourself simply, is humility something that is visible in how I live my life? Is the mindset of Christ that which guides my decisions in what I say and what I do? Let's close in a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, I invite you into, into my own heart space and my mind to do your work and to do your examination. And I pray for all of us listening that you would do the same in their hearts. That we truly would be Jesus followers who live like you, who have a heart like you, and who have a mindset 
like you. So do your work in us, Holy Spirit. Convict us, encourage us, guide us, rebuke us. But bring us to the place where we are most like Jesus. I pray these things in your name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.